The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. All right. It's good to be with you. Let's pray. We especially need God's help this morning as we come to this text because we just cannot do this, what we're going to hear without him. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. Uh, You're a speaking God, a communicating God, a faithful God. And Lord, many of us in here know that. Some of us in here are struggling to believe that you would be faithful and trustworthy. And so for all of us, Lord, we're we're gonna face challenges that cause us to doubt, cause us to waver. And so we pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would be here richly. Show us. Show us that the eyes of the heart, as it were, let us see the beauty, the faithfulness of Jesus. And uh, let us know that our security is in him, Lord, so that we can worship you with the freedom and the joy and the strength and the contentment that you offer to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think you probably agree, one of the most fundamental desires of the human heart is the longing for security. You long to be secure. Uh, The dictionary says security is the state of being free from danger or threat. You really want to know that everything's going to be okay. And, And you'll nearly do anything to get this in some cases. Your heart longs for security. So let's take a moment and think of some of the various ways we desire security. Uh, one on your mind, I just read a, I read a uh, results of a poll this morning. Everybody's waking up worried about their financial security. Anybody in here worried about that? Okay, Financial security. Are, are you going to have enough to make it? Then I think in our days, especially the last several years, we're worried about societal security. Are you going to live in a society with freedom and peace and safety? Uh, Many of us are dealing with concerns for physical security. Is your body healthy? Is it going to function well? What about the, the physical health of those you love? Then there's relational security. I mean, think of the things we will do to try to pursue relational security. Is someone going to be there for me? Or I want to be there to provide for someone else. I want I'm, the people I care about, I want them to thrive and be okay. And, and then there's just internal security. Do you, do you feel secure in who you are? Are you, are you good enough? Are you okay? Do you qualify? Are you accepted? We're just dying for this, aren't we? Long for security. And now just think of all the ways your security seems threatened. You know, it's great here at this point in the sermon. I don't even have to illustrate this for you. Because your heart and your mind is already doing this all the time. You know very well where you are worried about the apparent lack of security in some aspect of your life. In fact, we're professionals at cultivating anxiety over the obvious lack of security that there is in this life. So Captain Obvious bringing the newsflash, 
This life is not secure. It's not. So I just ask you this, where are you most concerned for your security? Where, 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 where is it? What's, what's the hard candy of anxiety you're sucking on? What, what is it spinning in your head? What is it affecting your relationships? Where is it causing you to doubt your God? Can you name it? So we're continuing our study through the book of Hebrews. Just a couple weeks left. It's amazing. We remember it was written to a marginalized, persecuted congregation of Jewish Christians influenced to abandon their faith in Jesus. And one of the influences that would push them or influence them to to leave Jesus, one reason that's tempting, is the longing for security in this life. Because in their case, following Jesus could bring financial, societal, relational, physical insecurity. In fact, in some cases, it did. It did. So when, as the author comes to these closing comments, and we've been talking the last few weeks, right, about worship that's acceptable to God, worship that's pleasing to him, right? We, we don't invent this. We receive this. We want to, as Christians, we want to worship in, in ways that are pleasing to him. As the author's talking about this, he hits on the issue of security. And why, why would he do that? Here's, here's the main reason. Because whatever you say you believe, whatever you say you believe, the place where your heart finds ultimate security, that's the, heart your God, that's, that's the God your heart is worshiping. The place you find your ultimate security, that's, where, that's what you're worshiping. And so it's a huge deal for Christians. Who do you really worship? From the heart, right? So we're considering verses 5 to 10 of chapter 13 today, and we want to think about where we find our ultimate security and what that means for our lives of worship, what acceptable worship looks like. So we're going to see three main ideas. Number one, we're just going to start with the anchor of our security. We're going to start there. Start with our anchor. Then, number two, we're going to see the, the contentment that having him brings and should bring in our lives, what that contentment should look like. And then we're going to see, number three, the strength that having him brings. So we're going to see the anchor of our security, the contentment having him brings, the strength having him brings. And so as I, you know, that's the intro. That's setting up what this text is going to talk about. And I'm just going to, I'm going to confess to you right now. Um, what we're going to hear is like harder to believe than the resurrection. <laughs> Here's what I mean. We're like, Jesus fed 5,000 from nothing. And we're all like, Christians were like, amen. God can do miracles. And then the Bible's gonna tell you to be content with what you have because your security's in Christ. And we're like, that's impossible. No. And it really is a miracle of the Holy Spirit to cause us to believe God's word in the here and now, so that our hearts actually find this contentment and this strength despite the insecurity of our circumstances. 
And so I'm, just, I'm coming with you as somebody who struggles with this, but somebody who wants it, somebody has tasted it. And we, and we wanna ask God as we hear this word that he would actually do this in us, okay? So let's ask him. So you just take, take 30 seconds in a breath. You tell the Lord where you don't think he's actually God in your life. And you ask him to show you that he is. Let's begin with the anchor of our security. We're going to start with verse 8. The reason we're going to start with verse 8 is because I think it holds this argument together, and I know it holds us together. <laughs> it holds me together. Look at verse 8. It's just amazing. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Just to put a statement like that in perspective, imagine saying this to someone else about yourself. Matt, the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. What a joke, right? What a stupid joke. I change, I make mistakes, I say one thing, I do another, I have good moments, I fall back, I fade, I doubt, I worry, I wonder, I have good moments again, then I'm going to die. That's part of what we sang this morning. Give us wisdom. Teach us, Lord, to number our days. Go ahead and take the pill. I think it's the red pill that's the true one. I can't remember. Go ahead and take the pill and say it out loud. I'm going to suffer and die. Okay? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever. So we put our eyes on Christ, and that's just been the theme of this whole book. Look again at Christ, and look with the eyes of your heart. Paul uses that phrase. Look, look deep. At Jesus and who he is to you. He's the Christ here. It's a title rich with meaning, right? How would you sum, sum it up that Jesus is the Christ? Here's my effort. God's promised divine king. God's promised divine king. God's anointed shepherd for his people. It's our shepherd. So we just remember things about him. Obviously, the Christ and, and the idea that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it does speak in a way to his eternality as the eternal son of God. Jesus is one person with two natures. And this eternal nature he has is a divine nature. He's truly God, just as the Father is God. And we remember just one picture of this in Hebrews all the way back in chapter 1. In Hebrews 1, the author told us that in Psalm 102, God was speaking of Jesus. In Psalm 102, God was speaking of Jesus. And look what God said of Jesus. Psalm 102, 25. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Who, who did that? Jesus. They will perish, but you, Jesus, you will what? You will remain. They'll all wear out like a garment. You'll change them like a robe, right? Changing the laundry, bring in a new, getting rid of the old one, bringing in a new one. They'll pass away, but you're the same, and your years have no end. Just ponder the glory of this person, co-creator of all things. Ponder the wisdom and strength it takes to do that. Ponder his control. That he's over his creation. He's going to bring it to where he wants it. And then look at verse 28. I didn't see this till this week. 
The children of your servants shall what? Dwell secure. Dwell secure. You're supposed to see in the power of your Savior something about him that confirms to you that you have, what do you have in him? You have security in him. So we, we know Jesus is, he, is eternal God. He's, he's God. He's also God in the flesh. And then we, when we think of him from that, from that other angle, it just increases his beauty and his glory. That the one who was one with the Father in perfect glory, the one who created all things, that, that he would come here in this insecure, broken, dangerous world, that he would come in such humility and take on flesh. And just give you one, one piece of that from Hebrews as well. Hebrews 2.12. Hebrews 2.12. The author, or sorry, 2.17. 2.17, the author there says, Therefore he had to be made like who? His brothers, his brothers and sisters. So this glorious God, the Son of God, has brothers and sisters. Members of his family. Who is that? It's you. It's those who trust in him. He had to be made like us in every respect. Truly human. He knows what it means to face poverty, abandonment, temptation, waiting, being misunderstood, Torture, death, he knows he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become, look at these two qualities about him, merciful. What's merciful mean? Mercy is when you see someone in need and then you go to help. You just care and you go to help. And so this, this man, the God-man, the Christ, Became like you because he's merciful to you to help you. He's a merciful and he's, what's that other quality? He's faithful. He's faithful. What does faithful mean? He's not like us. We go up and down. Our passions get high and low. We flake. We doubt. We rethink this. I don't know. Not him. He's faithful. Come what may, he's faithful. You can't break him. You can't break him. You can't, you can't move him off what he's doing. He came for his people. He's merciful and he's faithful. He's a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. He's going to bring us to the Father. He brings us near. He's going to save us. He's going to thrill us. And that really is the point of verse 8. Verse 8 obviously has some deep water doctrine in it. He's the Christ. He's one person with two natures. He's the God-man. But more than deep water doctrine, it's an encouragement to me and you that this man is faithful. Jesus Christ, the one who knows you and cares for you, the one who made everything, 
He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not gonna quit on you. He didn't forget you. He's faithful. And because he's faithful, Hebrews 6, 19, I couldn't help but steal the illustration. He's the, he's the anchor of your security. You're just tied into him. He's your security. He's taking responsibility for you, and he will never let you down in the end. He's eternally trustworthy. He's faithful, which means if you belong to Jesus, you're secure. You are secure. We are secure in his person. Think about it. We are united to Christ. We are his. He is ours. You're secure in that. You are secure in the forgiveness he has earned for you on the cross. If you belong to Jesus, it's not like you're going to reach some tap out point where it's like, oh, I sinned one more too many times and now he's done. That's not how it works. He paid for every one of your sins, past, present, future. You're secure in your forgiveness. You're secure in your identity. Who are you? You better be able to answer this from the heart. Who are you? I'm a success and I'm accepted because, and what do you want to fill in the blank? My children are always perfectly well behaved. Oh, don't, don't do that. I am seen as a success in my career. I have lots of money. Everyone likes me. Go ahead and fill it in. What do you need? Are you kidding me? Don't put your identity in that garbage. You are a child of God through Jesus Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you're secure. You're secure. You're secure in our access to the Father through him. You, you can have confidence to go before the throne for grace and mercy in time of need. We're secure in his provision. And here's the part you're like, I don't know. I mean, I know you're Christians in your mind where you're like, amen. And your heart's like, no way. <laughs> no way. Okay, do you remember Hebrews 12? He disciplines his children he loves through difficulty for our good, which is holiness, because he loves us. Which means that right now in the apparent insecurity, he wants to use that in your life so you put your security where it belongs, on him. We're secure in his provision. We're secure in our future, unshakable kingdom, great inheritance. Jesus Christ is the anchor of our security. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You put your anchor anywhere else, and let me tell you, it is by definition insecure. There's one place where you are eternally secure in every way. It's Jesus. So I ask you, you know, if you're not a Christian today, we couldn't be happier that you are here with us. And we want you to consider Christ. And so I just, I want to invite you to repent of your sin and trust in him. And he will be your security. He will receive you right now. Without him, you don't have any security God's a, God's a judge, right? And, you're, and our lives are just, they're, they're this long. Get right with God, right? And trust yourself to Jesus Christ. So what an important invitation for us. And if you are a Christian, do you worship Jesus from the heart? And here, here's where we all have to go. Eat sort of. Because do you find your ultimate security in him? 
And how many times do the attitudes of our hearts and our mouths just belch out, Jesus isn't faithful and trustworthy to me. I can't trust him. So I I have to come to this passage with a little bit of humble repentance. Forgive me, Lord, for, for wanting to put my security in other things. And then I just think, you know what? God must love me. I think he loves you too. Because part of why he, he's messing with you with some insecurities in your life is because he, unless he does that, you won't see where your false securities are. So because he loves you, he's saying, come on, put it, put it on me. Put it on me, right? So we ask, do I worship Jesus from my heart? Do I find my ultimate security in him? And we realize it's the same question. It's the same question. Acceptable worship finds its security in Jesus Christ. And we're gonna see that now played out. Verse five, because our our security is in Jesus, we can be content in all circumstances, okay? And there the Greek word all, the English word I'm using all, it means, can you tell me? All. Because you're going to try to squeeze out of this here in a second. Right? You're going to try to squeeze out of this. Because most of us are going to go, yes, that verse is true, except for my special story right now. Come on, right? I'm just telling the truth. And I only know you're doing it because guess what? I'm, I'm good at this game myself. Verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. So first of all, we see you are going to be tempted to love money too much. Uh, The text is saying keep your character free from the love of money, your manner of life, your habit. Make sure your habit of mind, heart, attitude, behavior, make sure your habit is not loving money. We remember, let's remember, money is not evil. No, no. It's a misquote of that verse. Money is the root of all evil. No, money is a gift. Money is good. It is not evil in itself. It is a vehicle for love. Money's great. It's loving it too much that's the problem. It's making an idol out of it. It's easier to, it's easy to over love it. You know, we we talked about sexuality last week, right? And it's, it's interesting to see how often Biblical authors will mention sexual immorality and loving money or covetousness like in the same breath. It it happens a lot. And that's because it's kind of the same thing. It's an over-desire. You you take something that is good, that God made that's good, and you see how, how good it is and you're tantalized by it. And then you're like, God, move out of the way. This is actually what I really want. And then you corrupt it and misuse it. Right? So that's what idolatry of the heart is. We take something good, we overlove it, we misuse it, corrupt it, take a good thing, make it an ultimate thing. So why are we so tempted to love money? Well, it's not even really money per se, is it? It's, it's the stuff we think money will give us. I mean, come on, what can you get with money? Right? Pleasure, you can get all sorts of pleasures with money. It seems like everything you ever wanted. If you just had the money, you could have it. Uh, Power, power, you can have influence if you have money. People 
will respect you. Maybe that's the next one, identity. You'd be seen as a success if you uh, have lots of money and, and we're like, okay, that's worldliness. Look at their bling, all their stuff. But there's a Christian version of this too. How, how good are you at providing? And if you don't reach a certain amount of money, you failed. Look where you put your identity. Security is the big one. Security. I want to have what I need to be safe and take care of those I love. Security. Anybody tempted to love money? (laughs) And you need to be careful because the love of money is evil. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24. Jesus talks about money a lot. No one could serve two masters. He'll hate the one or love the other. He'll be devoted to one or despise the other. You cannot serve what? God and money. You see how this becomes a worship thing? It's about your security. It's about what you live for. You cannot serve God and money. You're going to use money to serve God, or you're going to use God to get to money. It's really important. You sort this out. The overlove of money, it's not acceptable worship. The overlove of money has disastrous consequences as well. Here's, here's that famous verse, 1 Timothy 6.10. The love of money is the root of A root of all kinds of evils. And it's through this craving. Can you feel it? I've got to have this. That's that's that sign of idolatry when you're just dominated by this. I've got to have this. Craving. I'm, I'm desperate without this. I'm falling apart without this. Can you feel it? It's through this craving. Now you're, because you always serve what you worship. You serve it emotionally, mentally, serve it with your time. Through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's dangerous. God only knows, right? The corruption, business, politics, nations due to the love of money. God only knows. What do we say? Follow the dollar and you'll see why everyone's doing everything. But what about the conflict in our relationships? What about the inability to love or serve? Relationships ended stilted over the love of money in all its little subtle forms. So look at what Jesus said in in Luke 12, 15. He said to them, these are his people, take care. What do those first two words mean, take care? You better be careful, okay? And be on your guard. You get the flavor of that. There's an enemy I better be ready. He's, he's going to smack me if I'm not ready. Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. That's not that dangerous, is it? How dangerous is it? It's just idolatry. That, that's all. It's just saying to God in that moment, not my God, this is. It's humongous. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. And then look what he tells us. Do you believe this? Can, do you believe this? 
Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. So one reason we have to take care and be on our guard is this is so easy for us to do, to think this way. And Jesus says, that's really stupid for you to do. It's not your life. Be on guard. You know, I was reading this book by this veteran pastor, and he was saying in this book, a reason Jesus says, take care and be on your guard. He says, the thing about love for money is that it's way easier to see in others than in yourself. And in the, the, this book, the guy even wrote, he said, I've had people come to me and confess they struggle with almost every kind of sin. And then he said, almost. He said, I cannot recall anyone ever coming to me saying, I spend too much money on myself. Or I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, and the people around me. Never had anybody say that. Isn't that interesting? Evidently, no one in any of his churches ever struggled with a love for money. They couldn't see it. They didn't want to see it. So we should assume, people of God, we should assume that we do struggle with an overlove for money. How many of you would have said beforehand that this, you struggle with this? And you know, you, here's, here's one way to test it. Are you ready? I'm sorry, this is a brutal passage today. <laughs> Here's one way to test it, your anxiety. Because this verse commands, did you see it? Contentment. Contentment means state of peaceful satisfaction. And he says, be content with what you have. Now, let's be careful. Is he advising apathy and not trying hard? No. Is he saying don't try to succeed at work? No. Is he saying don't even try to make more money? No. If you make more money, you can give more money, biblically speaking, in many cases. Is he, is he saying don't plan for the future? No. Is he saying don't provide for your family? No, he's not saying any of those sayings. We'll put that off to the side. What is he saying? Right here, right now, you, what? Be content. And how many of you are thinking that's impossible? It's impossible, right? And our hearts tell us, right? Our hearts tell us any difficulty or anxiety, any anxiety I have is justified because my situation is unique. I just know because that's what mine tells me, okay? Your heart tells you that's true for those people. It can't be true for me because if you just knew my story, okay? Now pause here, listen. So you have that worst case scenario in your mind. You're afraid this will happen, okay? Did you know that has happened to some other Christian out there somewhere? That has happened. Is is this verse still true for them?
Or we think, we, you know, if we think this doesn't apply to me, did it apply to the suffering Christians of the first century? They had less circumstantial security than any one of us in here. I think about it in the ancient world, uh, uh, throwing, throwing stuff out there. Having a baby is dangerous, desperately dangerous. There's no medic. The, the, the medical care, are you kidding, in the, in the first century world? What? Rights? Individual rights? What? Calling 911? Stability in, in the, the nations? What? They had no security in comparison to the security that we have. Was this verse true for them? Yes. Is it true for you? Yes. Ugh. And here's where we pray, Lord. We, we have to stop and we have to say, Lord, give me the miracle of contentment in Jesus Christ. Give me the miracle. And you see how the author works this. He says, be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Contentment comes from the mind of your heart actually believing that what God has said in his word, he has said to you personally in Christ. He has said it to you personally. Because it's possible for our external thinking to say, Jesus is my security, and for my heart to say, there's no God, I'm on my own, I'm running for the hills. <laughs> but when you meditate and, tr and pray on and chew on the word of God through Jesus Christ with other believers, and then you hear, I mean, this, this is a reference to Joshua 1.5. You remember the story of Joshua? And God says to Joshua as he's gonna go take the land, be strong and courageous, I'll be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. And the author of Hebrews just said, if you're a Christian, God himself through Jesus Christ says this to you. Can you imagine Jesus coming up to you and saying, you know, if he put his hands on your shoulders and he looked in your eyes and he said, listen, I promise I will never leave you or forsake you. Just imagine for a moment you believed him. How would you, how would you feel? You'd be thrilled. <laughs> You'd be thrilled. It would almost be, it would almost be like an honor to go through something a little bit difficult because you're kind of like surfing on the wave that Jesus made you that promise. And you're like, he's with me. He's not gonna forsake me. He didn't forget me. And, and then you see, right? For he has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You see why this is so important. Do you believe him? It's so important. Because on one side, right, if you believe him, that's faith. Faith believes God. And if you and we're all gonna struggle with this, okay? We're all gonna struggle with this. But in the end, if you go, no, you won't. Do you see what just happened? It's unbelief. So we, we believe God at his word. And then you just kind of rejoice. I mean, look at look at verse six here, Hebrews 12, or sorry, 13, 6. So we can confidently say, and then he seems to mash a bunch of psalms together. But, but look at this verse. If you believed God's promise to you in Christ, 
you could confidently say, what's that word confident mean? I'm, I'm strong, courageous. I'm not falling apart anymore. I'm not trembling anymore. I'm confident. We can confidently say. And then all of a sudden, we all become psalmists. We're like David in the, on the hills, writing our songs of praise. We can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is my helper? That, that guy? Helping me? Fear? The Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? And you know that would hit this church right in the chin because remember in their early days, they actually had their property taken away from them because they were Christians. How do you do that? How do you do that? How, imagine, imagine the, the authorities could come and take your stuff, freeze your account because you belong to Jesus. It's not that hard to imagine, is it? Imagine they could do that. Could you then be like, what can man do to me? The only way you could is if you knew Jesus was sovereign, even over that, he's in control, and he was going to use it for your good, he'd still be with you and never forsake you. They did that the first time. They received the plenty of their property with joy. That's faith on fire. That's like believing God's word. That's what we ought to be. So, you know, he's mashing these psalms together. Just read them real quick. Psalm 118.6. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Psalm 56, four. In God whose word I praise. You can see why he says that now, right? Because if you believe this promise, I'll never leave you or forsake you. You're like, God, thank you for your word to me. Thank you for this. It's an amazing gift. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? The bottom line here, folks, though, is security in Christ shows itself in contentment. It does. Lord Jesus, give us contentment. Third thing to see. So we've seen Jesus is faithful. He's, our, he's the anchor of our security. Second, we've seen security in Christ comes forth in contentment, especially we're not gonna love money. Here's the third one. It gives us strength. So we'll start in verse seven. Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Imagine the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And we just see here, right, security in Christ will form a person. And because Jesus is the same, his truth is always the same. We're going to see that in a couple of verses. His character is always the same. What is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience. For you? Yes. For me? Yes. It's the same. He's the same. And the character of life he inspires, you're going to see it in his people. It's the same because he's the same. And so this congregation had known some faithful leaders, and this congregation had been able to hear what they taught, see how they lived, and probably even see how they died with confidence in Christ. Don't you, don't you want to glorify Jesus in how you die? It's like the biggest stage. You know, whether, whether it's real quick and you're bleeding out, you want to be like, Lord, into your hands. I, can, I don't know how you do that. but Especially if you're locked in a hospital forever. Or you're, or you're in hospice forever. Don't you remember some people who glorified Jesus to us, even in this community? Because their security was in Christ, even in the face of death. 
Remember, remember your leaders, people who give an example of trusting Christ for their security. Lord willing, I'm a decent example for you. Lord willing, our elders and deacons are decent examples for you of trusting in Christ for their security. Lord willing, we will be that to one another. But as you look even in the examples in the Bible, you look through the faithful examples of church history, it gives you strength to see the example of those who put their security in Christ and lived accordingly. You're like, yes, let's do this together. Okay? And then, you know, commentators say, he says, remember your leaders, and then he drops verse eight on us, which we've already seen. Some people say, it seems to come out of nowhere. I don't think it's out of nowhere at all. Because you're, you're remembering, and you're supposed to, and you're considering these examples, you wanna imitate them, and you think, wow, how did they do that? How did they love Jesus like that? And the point the author is saying here in verse eight is that the same Jesus that enabled them and was with them He's with you. You didn't get a lesser Jesus than the really faithful Christian did. You have the same Jesus. And he wasn't just really good back then, and now it's hard to find him. No, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was faithful to those who have gone before He's faithful to us today, and even if the culture catches fire and burns, he'll be faithful to our children, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that gives you strength to see that, gives you courage to see that, see it in our leaders, faithful leaders, because we ultimately see it in Christ this stability, and that even leads to doctrine. Look at verse nine. Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We should remember here, false teaching is constantly a challenge for God's people, right? And look at how these words work, verse nine. Don't be led away. See how false teaching works? leads you away, away to, I don't know, there's thousands of examples. In this context, it was something with mosaic law, dietary law, feast, foods, I don't know exactly. The point is not so much what it leads you away to, but what false teaching leads you away from. And who's it leading you away away from? Jesus. The Christ, worship of him according to his word. And so you get variety, you know, diverse and strange teaching, a variety of these ideas, new ideas. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means there's one Christianity, there's one faith. It doesn't change. It's the same. It's above culture. It's the same faith all the time. It's the same Jesus so we're not into this variety, these variety and these strange, it's like alien teachings. Where you, where you, when somebody loves Jesus and loves his word, we hear it and we go, huh? No, that's alien. That's not our savior. But listen, why are false teachings tempting so often? False security. 
false security. You find security in the things of this world, you adapt the biblical teaching to give you an excuse to go after it with all you have. False security. Or maybe in this context, right? False teaching, maybe even kind of like a salvation by works. It's like the, it's the religious disease, right? You wanna prove that you're good enough so that you can have a security before God. So now God owes you because you obeyed like nobody else. You know what? I've heard this. Have you heard this? Have you heard it in your heart? Have you heard it from somebody else? They're suffering and they say, I cannot understand it. I've always gone to church. Yeah, we, we hear that and we think, oh, that's no, no way. The heart does that. That was a false security in religious performance. That's why we go to strange teachings or somehow to gain an identity in our own accomplishments, the praise of the crowd, whatever. The point is, look what strengthens the heart when you're tired, when you're weak. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by what? Grace. That's what strengthens your heart when you're weak, when you can't make it, when you're having a hard time believing. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. What's grace? God's lavish, undeserved love for you in Jesus Christ. Because we go back and we go, I don't deserve this. And then we like, praise God, that's part of the definition. <laughs> yes. If your heart's only strengthened by love you do deserve, your heart will never be strengthened. Strengthened by the lavish, undeserved love of God for you in Jesus Christ. Strengthened by grace. And so we see when we realize our security in Christ is due to his grace and not our performance, now we have strength. We have strength to keep going. My identity in Christ is a gift. The fact that he receives me even now is a gift. He still loves me. He lived the perfect life for me. He died on the cross in my place. He rose from the dead. He's thinking of me interceding. Now he's going to return, and it's all by grace. A couple verses. Look at Romans 5.2. Through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into what? This grace in which we stand. This is like your house. This is your foundation. You stand on God's undeserved love for you in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we rejoice, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I'm going to see him and see his face. Paul talks about the same idea in great detail. Philippians 3, if you want to read it later, he talks about my righteousness is in Christ alone. And then he concludes like this, Philippians 4.1. Because, because our righteousness is in Christ alone, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crowned, stand firm thus, what? In the Lord. You stand in the Lord. He's with you, around you. You can stand because you have strength from knowing that your security is in the grace of God for you in Jesus Christ. Do you see? Jesus is your security that gives you contentment. And because you're saved by his grace, it gives you strength. 
Strength to stand even in difficult days. Strength to stand because you know who you are, you know whose you are, and he is enough. He's your security. We'll finish here with verse 10. Got to conclude we're going to pack all this more next week. But look at verse 10. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Uh, that's just proof, right? This is written before AD 70, the temple's still functioning. And you, you imagine these priests, the high priests, all those folks at the temple doing all their things. He's thinking of the day of atonement, right? That's that major sacrifice. We really see God dealing with the sin problem of his people. And then that major sacrifice, you take that outside of the camp, you burn the whole thing. Because many of the sacrifices, priests get to eat of it. That's how their needs are provided for. But you don't get to eat this one. It's too special. It's too holy, deeply symbolic. This is God removing the sin. You don't get to eat this one. And so here, the author of Hebrews saying to these people who are so tempted to go back to Mosaic law worship, and they'd have such a big idea in their mind of the high priest, and he says to these people, you can eat something those people can't even touch. You have something greater and better than even the high priest of Israel. You have the better altar. What is it? Yeah, so that thing right there, that's not an altar. You know that, right? That's a table. And the difference is really important because our altar is Jesus Christ himself. He's the true priest. He's the true sacrifice. He's the true temple. He's the true prophet. He's the true king. He is your security. And you get to eat of that, which in context means all of his benefits are yours and they give you life. You have everything in Christ. You have everything in Christ. So friends, he bought you by his blood. He saved you by grace. You know what that means? That means he owns you. He has the right to work whatever he wants, however he wants in your life. Did you know that? He owns you and Jesus has the right to work whatever he wants however he wants in your life. And he calls you as you do that, as you see his great love for you on the cross, he calls you to say, I trust you. I trust you that you're good and you are my security. Can we do that? By the power of the spirit, may we do that. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son and the security we have in him. We thank you for a local church that we can ponder these things with, look to you with, praise you with, and we ask you, Lord, you know, you know our hearts and our minds right now. You know where it's just hard for us. And we pray that our hearts would be enlightened with your goodness, that our hearts would hear your promise and believe and that even in the midst of horrible suffering and great insecurity, even as we're mourning and grieving these things and struggling through them, we pray that we would have a deep well of joy, a deep well of contentment, a deep well of strength because we know who you are. We know that you're our security. We pray you do this for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.fountainoflifefellowship.com.